Hey there, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge, your hyper-local, progressive podcast centered in beautiful Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. And we have a really interesting show for you today, actually. Um, this is Field. Yep, we'll be talking about what it takes to win an election, going door-to-door, talking to voters, racking up those votes, and all the parts of organizing. We have a panel full of women, all based in Bay Ridge, people who've worked on city, on state, on national campaigns. And what's unusual about that is Field is really a male-dominated world, so we're really lucky here in Bay Ridge to have incredible women running our field operations on a regular basis. Yeah, and I mean, if you don't know what Field is... I just told them it's knocking on doors and talking to voters. Yeah, but why is it important? Why is, like, isn't that just, like, grunt work? Oh, no, 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 no. Field is the backbone of any campaign. Field is the only way to guarantee which voters are going to come out. And we will talk a lot more about that in the podcast, so I don't want to ruin it for everybody. (laughs) Before we start, we have like one very small announcement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rachel, this is going to be your last episode with Radio Free Bay Ridge. It is. It's last time in the studio. It's, you know, it's it's emotional. Yeah, but it it ties in with the episode and everything, and nothing's going to change, though, with Radio Free. Yep, you guys are going to keep on keeping on. (laughs) Is, is this is it that you don't like the how we decorated the new studio? It is, is. That honestly, it? it's just cold. It's it's there's no signs. No, I've um just had a really great opportunity come up and this is the other part. Like everyone in this neighborhood, this podcast is for you and by you. So we're just gonna have more people that are in the neighborhood coming on to take up a little bit of your slack. Hopefully, maybe the Twitter account might not be as salty. Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of salty folks in Bay Ridge ready to uh, take over that. <laughs> We're still trucking on, and so are you. This is not the end of the line for you. There's going to oh, be no. lots of amazing stuff coming up for you, and I'm really excited to see yeah. where you go. And I think everybody will just have to make do with that amount of information and maybe <laughs> learn some more later. What we can learn about right now is how to take the track that you have trod, how to move <laughs> along in the field world and celebrate how you do feel this has been one of the episodes that you've wanted to do for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I got involved with campaigns in early 2018. And, you know, I I never knew what that was. I knew that, you know, candidates would say, hey, come knock doors for me, come do this, come do that. And I was like, eh. but it was an opportunity I had last year to get involved. And it taught me a ton about all of the different components of running a ground game, and that includes community liaising, you know, not yeah. just the simple stuff. And it's not something that at a strategic level I've seen discussed very much mm-hmm. in the community, even though we've had amazing, amazing efforts by particularly a lot of the women in the Arab organizing community. And it makes a huge difference. And I think we saw that with, for example, Matilde's campaign last mm-hmm. year, which was tons of volunteers going out and really helping her win. Yeah. And it's interesting because you started this without any real experience no in experience field organizing. whatsoever. I had knocked doors once in Ohio. What made you want to get involved in this? And- well, look at how the neighborhoods changed. Everybody felt a certain way and everybody went out and worked and we did it. And we have enough people who did do that to have an entire panel discussion today about how other people can also get involved because we need even more. Like we have enough for a full panel if Everyone listening right now just like took a little bit of time and thought about whether they wanted to get involved with actually leveraging the 
levers of power in political campaigns and working field. Yeah, and and something to point out, um, particularly going into 2020, this is something I've heard a lot of people talk about in the field world. There are going to be so many races in 2020 at every single level of government that they are desperate for organizers. They are desperate to train organizers. If this is something you want to do, you will never have a better opportunity. It's one of the few things that you can do for a short period of time that creates a net positive across the board immediately. You can work at a crappy nine to five job for decades and not see the effects of what you've done. I have never known a better feeling than election night winning after putting in all that work. So let's just get that info dump. Let's learn right. about what it's Do like it. to run the most important part of a political campaign other than running yourself, <laughs> which is working the field for a candidate. Hello, welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. I'm Mary Hedex. I'm in the studio today with three women who are all campaigners. We're talking today about political field work. Hi, my name is Tiham Malas Liker. I, um, you know, I've been organizing in different campaigns and different levels of government, from electoral to issue-based campaigns. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Gold Sobel. I live here in Bay Ridge, and I have worked on several campaigns, political and issue-based. I'm Rachel Brody. I have worked on a couple of electoral campaigns, um, primarily during the 2018 cycle. Maybe we should kick off with just everybody saying a little bit about what field is and just a general kind of overview. Field is identifying voters and getting them to the polls in a nutshell. It's trying to talk to as many voters as you can and figure out the main issues that they need to hear from their elected official or the person that is campaigning. Get engaged in conversations and discussions with different people and see what's the best campaign strategy and the main issues that you want to focus on. I agree with Sam. Field is everything that you make it out to be. It's engaging folks who are politically active and folks who've never been politically active. It's trying to figure out what energizes folks to bring them out to either volunteer or to bring them out to vote. Field is definitely the backbone of any campaign, and it's very underrated. Um, and underpaid, <laughs> which I'm sure we could all here agree. I think it gets left out of conversations a lot because when you're looking at a campaign, you're primarily looking at just the candidate and you're looking at the communications and what's coming out of the campaign. You're not looking at who is keeping the campaign running, who's doing the hard and dirty work behind the scenes. Yeah, I, th I think I agree with that as well, particularly what you said about like who's doing the work. The work of field is door to door to door, making one phone call at a time and yeah, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the campaign, but at the end of the day, when it's GOTV, when it's election day, you have to have knocked on however many doors because you have to know to go back and get those people to vote. Right. So it's not very glamorous. It's exhausting. It's underpaid. There are long hours, but it's absolutely vital. And I would say I think it's starting to get a little more respect, particularly in this past election mm -hmm. and particularly yeah. in our district. But when people ask for volunteers and they ask for you to come out, like this is what they're asking you to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think especially with the latest young and out of nowhere candidates being elected, most people, I think, forget that those campaigns have succeeded because of fields. Mm -hmm. And not to confuse paid field versus not. And volunteering is the most mm -hmm. important because you get people who are actually passionate about it because right. paid field, I see it as like last resort when you don't have enough volunteers. So if more people volunteer, the value that you get from field is much bigger. I agree with that, but I'm also going to just push back a little bit. Um, so I think there's also a misconception that 
There are paid canvassers, and the only reason that they're canvassing is because they're getting paid. With all of the long hours that canvassers have to do and the low pay that they get and the lack of health care and all of that fun <laughs> stuff, there has to be something in there that's driving them to do so. It's nice to have a healthy mix of volunteers, and a lot of times volunteers are privileged in the sense that they can take time off of work or that they are physically able to go knock on doors. Paid staff, they are also passionate about it, but they have to pay bills just like everybody else. I actually agree. Most of the time, actually, some of the campaigns I worked on, I would get more volunteers from the paid canvassers. They would bring in as many people and be like, well, if you can pay them, great. If you can't, that's fine. We just want to get involved as much as possible. What I meant by like paid canvassers is like, please have more passion. It's not just knocking on doors or trying to go as fast as possible. It's just really connecting with the voters so that we have clear idea about what they want. Yeah. And having people that can do that, either paid canvassers or reliable volunteers that you can count on to hit their talking points and to finish their turf and get you the data that you need, that's how you make decisions. So sometimes I've had canvassers that were being paid that like felt bad about it because they were so passionate and they wanted to volunteer. They wanted to spend every waking hour canvassing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the reality is just I couldn't afford to pay them to canvas every waking hour. And they had other jobs. They were canvassing part time. And it was just like, look, just be here when your shift begins. Turn in your data at the end of the night. That is something that I can rely on and make better decisions. Most campaigns don't really see the value in field, which is just ridiculous. Like if it were a perfect world, I would have everyone on staff have done a few months of fields just to get an understanding of like what's Absolutely. going on and like yeah. communication. But I've also seen some campaigns where let's just get as many pay canvassers as possible, hire anyone as long as they knock on doors. And that's when I like, I would rather have that payment go to super volunteers mm -hmm. um, rather than just having as many bodies as possible. And, and to me, that's not necessarily the best. Well, and I think you hit on something really true there. It's like, and not that there's anything wrong in needing a paycheck. We all need a paycheck. But you've got people who maybe are just showing up because it's another job where they can make 15 bucks an hour. I think most canvassing mm -hmm. now is 15 an hour in, in New York. But you also always have that pressure of like, if you've got an amazing volunteer who's showing up all the time, like, do you put them on payroll to fill shifts and to get people out there? Or do you appreciate the fact that they can afford to give you their time for free and not drain your budget? Yeah, that's really, really tricky. To me, this is the tricky part where like, if I see a super volunteer and the excuse of, that they have is I can't afford coming in, then to me, I'm like, if we have enough money, instead of just having a cold call to everyone, the first step should be to, to see all of the volunteers that you have, mm -hmm. which ones have shown they would do more if they could. Make the value and add. Exactly. Like, look, before you do like a cold call to any kind of like job posting or anything like that, like look through your volunteer contacts and lists and kind of like figure out which are the ones that would definitely be here more often if they have a paycheck for it. So yeah, I think it's really important that if you do have the money that you do pay for the labor because being able to offer somebody a paycheck for something that they're passionate about I think is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. For me, for example, I was never involved in politics at all. And I was volunteering on Elliot Team's campaign two summers ago, I think it is now. But I was just volunteering for the summer because I was a teacher and I had the time. I was still getting a paycheck because it's the Department of Education, but <laughs> I had the time. And through volunteering, I was able to canvas, and it's something that I would have never seen myself doing. But when the opportunity presented itself to be a paid canvasser and to be more involved in the campaign, I 
took it and now here I am. (laughs) So I think it's really life-changing because for folks who are passionate about something, it's not very often that you're able to work in the fields that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So any opportunity to do so is, I think, really great. Something that I didn't really think about until after the 2018 cycle closed was that actually when people are volunteering, like donations aren't just dollar donations, donation are time donations. And if you have 3,000 people out there in the field knocking on doors, that's almost half a million dollars, if my math, which could be off. But it's it's a significant amount of money, and that's money the candidate doesn't have to spend time raising on the phone. It's money that you you can put to mailings, you can put to paid staff, you can put to all kinds of other things. So I think that's something really important to kind of keep in mind. If somebody is going to volunteer and is going to put a lot of time into a campaign, what do you want them to know about the campaign and how the campaign works? Because for somebody just walking into that office the first time, it's not that clear what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe something to do is walk through a typical day in the field, (laughs) quote, typical, unquote, (laughs) day in the field office. Yeah, Yeah, no, typical was definitely not the right word to use there. Exhaustion, maybe, like, be the typical. (laughs) Um, You wake up on the floor at 10 a.m. because you didn't leave the night before. (laughs) It hasn't happened in every campaign that I I worked on, but most campaigns, I think the first thing that they say is anyone who comes in, give them a canvassing (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, packet. (laughs) As much as I love that, sometimes it's not the best strategy and not the best way to get that volunteer to come back. They can be interested in canvassing, but you have to make sure to partner them with someone, for example, that knows or has done it a few times. Pairing them with the right person can be the difference between that person never coming back and that person coming in four days a week. And and I've had that happen. Yeah. Or be cautious about when you're cutting turf, please. Mm -hmm. What's turf? Mm. Oh, sorry. Again, yes, I'm so sorry. So a turf, a turf is the packet with like with the map that has the voters' names and the addresses and, and everything. When we're talking about a canvas, what we're talking about is you come in, you pick up a list of people you're going to go and knock the doors on, and then you go out door to door. Most of the time, it takes three or four hours. And you're knocking on doors, you're talking to people. Then you come back in with your data, you turn it in, and you go home. And when you're cutting turf, cutting turf is prepping that packet. And so you have a huge database that each campaign has access to. And it's kind of almost like a video game, kind of like (laughs) um, you try to expand the area that will be houses or apartment buildings or non-apartment buildings as you're trying to, to post because it's really hard to get into senior apartments. <laughs> exactly. And then the volunteer will see whether they voted or not or what party affiliation they have. And by the way, we got multiple, multiple phone calls from voters asking, how come you have my name? And how come this is completely legal? And this is what democracy is, apparently, this is what democracy I think. looks like. And, um, and we're not doing it to figure out when you're not home so that we can come in Rob, and yeah. Yes. yes. It is, Sorry, Marty. And, um, <laughs> and, and believe it or not, it is for your best interest to kind of try to remind you that there is an election and to remind you that you have a right to know about these candidates and to make up your own mind. And we never, ever encourage our canvassers, our volunteers, or our paid canvassers to force anyone. If anything, like most of the times, if you don't open the door, we just put in um, a pamphlet that will give you information about this. And we're sorry for wasting paper. Yes, exactly. And please please vote. Think of it this way. If you've ever been annoyed by someone coming to your door multiple times during the day, if you vote. We're only going to come back three more times. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you stop pretending not to be home while your dog barks and you hush them, thinking that we don't hear you. <laughs> so I'm from Algeria. I actually have a green card, but so I can't vote. And for someone who can't vote, 
like it's a heartbreak mm. for me to kind of talk to someone be like oh i i don't vote really and i'm like please please not only it's your race it's something that a lot of people all over the world like really take for granted mm -hmm. so when we say please volunteer please vote and all that we are doing it for a particular candidate that we found but it's also to give you information and most of the time just like to remind people that there is an election coming up because most people only think of it if it's a national campaign. Yeah, and I think it's it's really important to mention how canvassers are being, I'd say, disrespected by society in general. Mm. When you go up and you go to knock on a door and then you see their neighbor who's home and they try to rush in and lock the door so that you don't go to their house next. And sometimes it's really tough as a canvasser talking to those people that just don't want to be spoken to. But I think that's also an opportunity to try to find out what is important to them because they may think voting's a waste of time or they don't align with a certain candidate or whatever it may be. But that's when I think it's really crucial to try to figure out what is the issue that's really pressing for them. I mean, it's rare, but it does happen. And I've seen it happen a few times where you could transform the way that that person mm -hmm, thinks mm -hmm. into then actually thinking, okay, you know what? Like, I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for. I'm not a one or a two or a three, <laughs> <laughs> but you've at least opened my mind and I will take this pamphlet and I will mm -hmm. read it and I will do my research. And that's not something that canvassers love to hear. You know, I'll do my research because <laughs> you just want an answer. Like, are you going to vote for my person or not? But it's much better than somebody yeah. uh, shooing you away. So what kind of data do you get on doors? As Jenna mentioned, it's one, two, or three. So in, in that packet that- Or four or five. Or four or five. I only think of one, two, or three. <laughs> or so never again. It's on, a scale, yeah, yeah. it's on a scale from one to five, one being the most supportive to your candidates and five being the least um, supportive. So you have one is very strongly, two is somewhat leaning, strong or like yeah, leaning, yeah. three is undecided, four is leaning against, and five is strongly against um, the candidate that you have. So early on on the campaign- you try to talk to everyone across party lines. So, and most of the time you'll have packets where you have six fives and then one who's a neighbor, like who's a strongly for your candidate. So yeah. it's a huge mess. And then as it goes closer, we try to talk into mostly our supporters. So you'll have mostly like, you know, from one to three. What you said about gathering different data at different times of the campaigns also applies to the primaries. Mm -hmm. In the primaries, you know, you may be asking which candidate they support, or do they support your candidate, or if not, who is it? All of that informs how you progress your campaign and what areas you go to and who you speak to and all of that as well. We mostly get a lot of undecided. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so when you see an undecided or someone who is not planning on voting, regardless of anything like that, you kind of ask them, what are the main issues that mm -hmm. are the most important to you? Because most people have not been asked specific things or even had they haven't even thought about the specific things that they need. And it's always good to have someone from the neighborhood or from the area that you're canvassing in, in your staff because they will know the best way to engage with, with people. So if you're in New York, chances are they're frustrated with the MTA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their transportation well, no, is the usually MTA a safe bet. Especially in southern Brooklyn. Yes, the R, the R is my favorite. <laughs> yes. Like I think, I think yeah, in the Bay Ridge, it's always oh my the gosh. R. R for rocking it. You want to connect with a voter right off the bat. Exactly. That's so. So you can think of like, and and all that's that's the that's to me the idea of you know connecting, identifying the, the voters is to think the same. That's the way to connect with them. And most of the time, if you have a clipboard, people either don't open their door mm -hmm. or they, they're not going to engage with you as much. So 
be human, like just be regular. Most of the time, at least Don't from my go experience, just based off the script. Exactly. Yeah. Most of the time, it's just like you go talk to someone and just be like, "Hey, what's up? What's what are the main issues that you have?" And wait before you bring up your candidate. Because if you bring out the candidate, generally they ask, "What's the party?" Mm. And mm-hmm. that will like stop any conversation. Yeah. yeah, people are more likely to talk about the issues they care about than if it's focused on one individual. When we say volunteers, it's going to be just hanging out with people. You know, it might be strangers, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's important also to start off on a blank slate, making sure that yes, there is a script, but also to know that there is flexibility within the script. Mm-hmm. You need to meet people where they're at. Not having any preconceived notions about that person, whether or not they have a Trump sign in their yard, whether or not they have a Bernie sign in their yard, because you never know how they feel on specific issues. And sometimes when you knock on a door with a Trump sign, it's like the husband or wife that is a Trump supporter, but then the other one is a Bernie supporter. Well, so, like particularly here, you could get a Trump supporter who's also going to vote for somebody in the Democratic Party. Right, right, I've, exactly. Yeah. Amazing conversations. Yeah. It's yeah. common, which is wild. I actually met some voters who were going to vote for Bernie mm-hmm. and then ended up voting for Trump. Like I see canvassing and volunteering in campaigns like a good way to kind of understand your humans. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's like if you're angry or like trying to understand why is this happening or, or why are people acting that way? I've seen that talking to different kinds of people and trying to keep your cool because mm-hmm. that's what you're going to try to do all the time. Really, right. A, brings up your patience. You kind of like develop a thick skin, but also you understand, you become a lot more understanding. Like, you'd be like well, that person didn't seem that mean who voted for this or this that I disagree with. Yeah, they just had a particular issue. Exactly, a particular issue that now makes more sense to me that they would go. And that actually loops around to a really important point about field, which is you're learning about people the whole time. You're learning about their issues. You're talking to them. When you bring that data back, the accuracy of that data mm-hmm. is so important. Um, and I don't know, maybe... Preach it. Yeah, please don't put in that you've talked to every single person on your packet and they're all a strongly one and they strongly <laughs> agree with, mm-hmm. with your candidates because... Everything that you put in from not home or deceased, deceased refused, uh, refused hostile, not hostile. Doesn't so, speak English. <laughs> doesn't speak English, exactly. So all of those are very important. And I would rather have an accurate, partially done turf or packet than a bunch of just ones, 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 ones. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, I'm going to I'm gonna push back on that one a little. I think, yes, yes, as far as the data, absolutely. I'm not pushing <laughs> back on that part, absolutely. The finishing it, But yeah. the finishing the turf, because especially when you're working on such a short timeline, if I give someone a packet and they take it out and they don't finish it, if, if you had 80 doors and you do 12 of them, and I've seen that happen, mm-hmm. those other 60, 70 people are not going to be spoken to. I mean, the Golden Gnardis race was 1,100 votes. In the primary, Mathilde Frontis and Ethan was 50 votes. If you leave four votes on the table for every packet, it only takes a couple hundred times through your turfs that you've lost all of those votes. Those are votes you left on the table and we needed them. How do you feel about having multiple people? And that was something that I've seen done is if you don't think that physically you can do 80 doors, which is hard work. I mean, I lost 15 pounds the first three weeks of canvassing. If you can't do that, like tell the person who's launching the canvas, say like, look, I can only do this many doors. Can I split this packet? It's a hundred times better to have two people do half a packet Mm -hmm. that's the same packet than it is to spread things out because it also affects GOTV. Yeah. And GOTV? Yeah, uh, get out the votes, (laughs) (laughs) which is when towards the end of the campaign, you'll go back to everyone you've spoken to and say like, hey, like you said, you're going to vote, come out and vote. 
I think when you are speaking to somebody who's about to go knock a turf, mm -hmm. I think it's important to tell them then what the repercussions are of mm -hmm. false data. You'd rather have an unfinished turf than all ones. Well, what are the repercussions of that? If they're all ones, then you're probably not going to talk to them again until the very end of the campaign. Mm -hmm. And then you knock on their door, just checking to see if they're ready to go vote in a few days. Thank you so much for your support. Can we still count on you to vote for blank? And they say, well, who? What do you mean? I never, I never <laughs> said that I would vote for that person. So it's not even a false one, a false strong vote that you're losing. It's somebody who now can perceive that you faked data. Mm -hmm. And it may seem like their voice isn't important because you didn't even give them the opportunity that will set your campaign yeah. back so far and so hard. Especially there's so much you can ask from volunteers when mm -hmm. they come in. Even though most of the time, most campaigns canvassing all the time is the best you can do. But also there's other things that need to be done. So, for example, we had there were people who were like, I can't talk to people. I'm not a people's person and you will lose vote more than anything if, I, <laughs> if you send me out. Mm -hmm. But I want to help. I want to do something. So to me, as a field organizer, it's your job to kind of figure out what's going to lead this person to come back, but also how to utilize the person as, as much as you can. So if they have four hours, data entry, if you need and data entry is when you put it in into the computer, everything that came back with the packets and make sure that the next time that we create these packets again, then we'll have accurate information that will lead to identifying more voters. Or if they'd rather, if it's not talking to a person face to face, they'd rather talk to people on the phone or they'd rather fill envelopes with, with or, or any kind of organization. There's always something to do. What are you good at? Are you good at social media? Okay, fantastic. What do you want to learn? You'd always pair a skill up with somebody to do on the campaign. As someone who doesn't speak English very good, as I get tired, like, you know, it's not my first language. I've had a lot of people who speaking in general is just not their forte. So if I put them in a situation where they have to do that, even if they come back, they're not going to feel very accomplished and confident. Right. Something that I saw that was really gratifying as an organizer was that somebody would come in and they wouldn't be comfortable. And then by working with them, you could bump them up a bit. So mm -hmm. like somebody might come in in the first time, oh, I'm not comfortable. Okay, well, here's some flyers, go to the subway. The second time, like, oh, you know, I, I, I might be able to make a phone call. And then by, you know, the third or fourth time, you say, like, hey, do you want to go out with this 15-year-old intern and knock on some doors? Exactly, yeah. yeah and now, now they're there. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why it's, like, always good to just, when you're staffing for campaigns, please have as many people who have done field or canvassing as possible, even if it's not to do field. Just to kind of meet with the volunteers and go out and, like, knock on people's doors and everything because the information and, like, experience is of a huge value and it will help your campaign. It will help the volunteers that you get and most importantly, give a little bit more value to the field. <laughs> I think everybody, especially for politicians, should have experience in the restaurant business, mm -hmm. but they should also have experience <laughs> with fields. I think that should be a requirement mm -hmm. because you're exposed to the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. So I think it's really, really crucial for everybody to have that experience. The best candidates are the ones you have to wrestle away from the oh, door. <laughs> that, yeah. that was that yeah. was a few candidates. Like, yeah. Yes, it yeah. was. It was like, no, you can't. You have a, a billion things to do, <laughs> and also you need to sleep. Please stop canvassing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was telling Rachel earlier um, yeah. a candidate that I recently worked for. It could be blizzarding outside. It doesn't matter. He could be climbing up four 
feet of snow just to knock on that door, yeah. doing whatever it takes to speak to people. That's so wonderful. And I think it's really important just volunteering or working for somebody that you really, truly believe in. Mm -hmm. Work ethic from a politician says a lot about them and who they are by what they're willing to do. Mm -hmm. I feel some kind of way about that, Jenna. Go for it, Mary. <laughs> Canvassing is a skill. You can learn it. And yeah. to learn it, you got to practice it. Mm -hmm. And I am blown away by some organizations I've worked with that have canvassers that have canvassed over and over again. And as a community organizer, one thing that I wish more people knew is that there are so many entry points to a campaign. Every election matters. But if you don't care about the candidate, remember how long we just spent talking about data? Mm -hmm. That stuff is valuable and you're giving it away for free. And if you believe in the candidate, by all means, sure, give it away for free if you trust that candidate with that information. But if not, there's other ways to get involved in a campaign and you keep that data. Mm. So one way would be volunteering through a political club that does their own campaign separate from the campaign. DSA is an example of an organization that does their own work and sometimes keeps their data. I haven't done a DSA campaign, so I shouldn't speak with authority. <laughs> and then similarly, you could have organizations that do what's called an independent expenditure where they might be spending money printing flyers and canvassing, and it's totally independent of the campaign. All of this strategy that we've been talking about is maybe the candidate's campaign, but IEC's independent expenditures might be running their own campaign, might be targeting different people, might be and can buy a subscription to the same database, but keep their data separate. So if you're not sure, you're not 100% sold on a campaign, look around for other ways to get involved because those skills are transferable. This is a huge arena. I think it's important for anybody to get involved no matter how they get involved. So whatever they're passionate about, even if they're not quite sure what they're passionate about, but they just see that there's an entry, go for it. Even just a day, even just an hour working on or with a campaign, I think is really valuable. Say you don't want to canvas, say you don't want a phone bank, come in with an idea. Right. A really big example of that that's gotten a lot of traction lately is postcards to voters. Mm -hmm. That's something that happens on your own timeline, independent of whatever the campaign is doing. And what I've noticed is the people who enjoy doing that, that is very much their focus. If they walked in the door of the campaign and you handed them a turf, they would not go knock those doors. <laughs> So that really speaks to what Jenna's saying about, and what you've said about like, find what that person is good at and give them an opportunity to contribute that way. How would you deal with somebody who just comes in and has an hour or like people that cycle from campaign to campaign and they haven't gotten to know one mm. campaign well? I don't even know if there's a right answer. I don't think there's <laughs> yeah. a right answer. But if that person has one hour, it might not be the best idea to send them out door knocking. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Or even, you know, making, making phone calls. So I've worked on a few campaigns. I worked on one last February upstate. And we had just this long list of different volunteer opportunities for folks to do that if they walked in and it was a chaos and nobody was there, or if they only had a half an hour, 30 minutes, this is the teacher in me. We had it listed with a task <laughs> and around how many minutes it would take. Every industry needs more teachers. Yeah. It. Preach it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we would do, you know, is we would just have a list and then they could choose what they wanted. And if they didn't see anything there that interested them, they could add something. Mm -hmm. But we always had an abundance of different tasks. Some are menial, some not so much, but something that 
everybody could do. Mm-hmm. Even if they are experienced canvassers, you know, an hour is still not very long. Training time. Exactly. And then you're wasting that person's time because they only have like an hour and then they're less likely to come back. So what I sometimes do, either flyering, so subways or in an intersection that I know is very busy or talking to people, it's still visibility. Make sure that every passing person has your candidates or look at the issue that you want to talk about or them to know in their hand. And you'd be surprised. A lot of times people talk at uh, bus stations usually when they're waiting. They're just standing there. There's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> You're not That's taking anyone's time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, use, exactly. Use the MTA <laughs> to your advantage so that we can make it better and then figure out a different way to engage with people than yeah. the ones who are waiting. <laughs> I want to take it back a sec when we were talking about different kinds of campaigns, different players, entities. Uh, I forgot to bring up unions mm-hmm. and unions' roles in mm-hmm. field. Some of the time, like if a union endorses a candidate, and this actually we can talk about endorsements maybe as well. Yeah. If a union endorses a candidate, they will very often send their own canvassers with their own lists mm-hmm. to do their own canvassing. With unions, especially with bigger races, Mm -hmm. you have multiple unions who have endorsed your candidate. And so you never know when they're going to show up. Mm -hmm. So they could send two people on a Wednesday, they could send 200 people on a Thursday, Mm -hmm. no matter how much planning you try to do, Mm -hmm. you're never going to know when it comes to unions, you know, they do endorsements all the time. And so they are pretty skilled and trained Mm -hmm. canvassers. But the thing is, when you attempt to train unions on the script and, you know, just how it works in your neighborhood or, you know, whatever it may be. Some folks are a little hesitant because they've Mm -hmm. done it so many times. And I think it goes back to what's more important. Is it important for that visibility or is it more important understanding who the candidate is and what they're representing? But something else that I'll say about unions is I think it's really cool. Sometimes they have their own lists of union members in your neighborhood. And so they'll come in their gear. They have their list already. They'll pick up some literature if they don't have their own literature from their union. They'll knock on the door and they'll say, hi, Bob. This is Jim from whatever, UAW. And it's cool because you already have that instant connection with that person at the door. So something Mm -hmm. that we as field organizers, we don't have that automatic connection with people at the door, but people in unions do. So I think they are really crucial. Yeah, I think it falls into like targeted way of canvassing because you also have to be cautious about your district. You're going to have people who don't react very well to unions or organizations. So for example, if you have someone that, you know, has like a bunch of, buttons and and like Mm -hmm. you know that's that's very exactly that's like very (laughs) clear where their policies are then try to figure out the specific places that it's not going to get them in any kind of trouble or they're not going to like you know turn off any kind of conversation because most people tend to agree on the majority Mm -hmm. of policies but the first interaction that you have Mm -hmm. is the most important yeah i mean when you think about it they say like oh you have three seconds to make a first impression Mm -hmm. and then somebody has decided about Mm you yeah and in canvassing they've actually also decided about your candidate and they may Mm -hmm. have already slammed Mm -hmm. the door Mm -hmm. so i always like to go as more of a blank slate and maybe not have my far left slogan t-shirt yeah (laughs) yeah i think it's even important just how you knock on a door because that's also the first impression so i don't know if you're gonna hear this into the microphone but i go like 
just because it's a nice yeah you like vibe with it you know and you can smile. put some song lyrics yeah so you knock on that hopefully the person doesn't pretend not to be home <laughs> and then you smile it just sounds like something that wouldn't make much of a difference, but it truly, truly does just by the the genuine smile that you have to see that person at the door. Amazing. But if you are wearing something that may potentially turn somebody off, immediately that completely turns the conversation. Yeah. You know, we've been talking a lot about the physical experience of canvassing, and maybe what we should do is also talk a little bit about the hierarchy of a field operation, oh, how yeah. that relates to the campaign. Varies. Campaign to campaign. <laughs> Varies. Yeah. 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 As we yeah. literally had to like had a conversation yeah. before before Sometimes we started. Sometimes varies this. over yeah. the course of a campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen campaigns that are very hierarchical and campaigns that are more collaborative. If you have communication between the team members and between the campaign staffers, then the hierarchy that's not mattering as well as much because you have conversations with the people, so that you can kind of give a little bit more of autonomy to the, especially to the field people, because. There's no typical day for mm -hmm. a field person and not having a big picture idea about what the higher ups want to go towards. It can become very frustrating. You shouldn't have to like be in constant conversation with a higher up and you can't just keep calling them every five minutes. Be like, mm -hmm. is this okay? Is that okay? Is that okay? Because no one has time for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Campaign. And sometimes people jockey for titles, right? Yeah. But <laughs> what really matters is your role. Yeah. <laughs> You know, difference between like a field organizer and a field manager and a canvassing director and a canvassing organizer. Yeah, yeah it's all wordplay. At a really basic level, what I've observed, and obviously this changes from campaign to campaign, is you have canvassers, you have some kind of field organizer, and you have some kind of field director. And at its most basic level, like those are the three stages. And then, yeah, as you expand out, you get deputy field managers and staffers and field managers and yeah. all these different kinds of roles. I go I go with the idea that everyone needs to know exactly what they're responsible for. Otherwise, it's, it's chaos even more than it's going to be. But it's also good to know that like if you see a need, like, it can be as little as like vacuuming the floor before a rally or like cleaning up the office before you leave or anything like that. At the end of the day, we're all here to get something done, particularly in a small amount of time. And there's no such thing as I'm a communications person. I don't do this. Or mm. I'm a... Oh, no. Mm. I'm the the campaign manager. I can't do this. Or I'm a field director. I can't do this. Or like I'm a, a field organizer, a field manager, or volunteer, or non-volunteer. If you see there's a need, even without telling like someone like assigning something to you, if you see the bathroom is not clean before it's 400 people, just 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 do it, and yeah. then you can like laugh about it after that and be like, hey, like I, I went beyond what I, <laughs> what I was assigned. Yeah, job descriptions don't really mean much yeah. <laughs> because it's all blurred. Because you'll have these big rallies where they come together last minute. You know, you usually have a call from a union or a higher up or somebody who's already elected saying, okay, I'm going to make this speech in front of Blank's office. I'm going to be there in 30 minutes. I want there to be 20, 30, 100 people. And so all of that pressure is put on every single person on that staff. And so it's really, really, really tough if you want to navigate job titles and job descriptions, because at the end of the day, if you don't have the 20, 30, 100 people, then that looks bad on all of you. Because again, at the end of the day, you're all representative of the candidate. Mm -hmm. Speaking of getting a big thing done in a short amount of time, have you guys thought about what it means for state 
races if the state and federal primaries are combined and the primary ends up moving from September to June? Yeah. What's that going to do to the campaign? So right off the top Amp of my head, up. yeah, they're going to have to start raising money sooner. And and first of all, I want to say like condensing the primary to one day, 100%. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but that but... means that the state races are going to have to start raising more money, get out in the field earlier. Their petitioning time has been in, what, June? Now it will be moved back to March or April. And it also means they have a much longer general election, six months, eight months. Primary campaigning is completely different. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the adjustment time to kind of go from primary mode to general mode, it would be chaotic. Trying to figure out a whole universe of people that you haven't talked to or knocked on their doors. But most importantly, you also have a lot more people coming in, especially when you have, you know, like... Matilda Frontis that campaign. It was it goes from like small, very grassroots, and then out of nowhere you have big campaign, and it needs a lot more time to kind of figure out, and then cannot be done in six weeks. The good thing about it, besides the fact that it'll be easier for folks to vote, is that during this past election season, a lot of folks couldn't volunteer or commit to even doing a shift for one campaign because they were focused on another campaign. Mm-hmm. I think this would definitely open that up a little bit so that they can volunteer. And then if everybody's focus is just on this one day, just on this Mm -hmm. one election day, then you're going to have a lot more people coming out to do whatever they can for that day. It's true. It's going to mean a lot more volunteers on primary day. Mm -hmm. And a lot more organizing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hopefully a lot more voters. We'll all keep uh, working. (laughs) Also, please vote on primaries. Yeah. It's it's really, really, really important because it literally sets everything up. For everything. (laughs) (laughs) So we've done a lot of talking about the daily work of field and the canvassing and the phone banking, the volunteering. If all of this sounds like stuff that people are interested in, if you've maybe volunteered, you want to go further, maybe we should kind of give people some insight into what kinds of jobs there are and how to get into them and how we all cope with an incredibly stressful and fast paced job (laughs) that we all love. Working a non-typical day every day with insane hours. How was our experience? How to better it? All of that. Generally speaking, at the canvassing level, and they come in and they work their shift and they go home. And that is about as close as you get to leaving your work at work if you work in fields. <laughs> yeah. And then once you get past that and you're looking at full-time work, in my experience, generally a weekly salary and all of the hours in the day and then some. That is this level that we've been talking about of organizing. I think we probably all have very different stories as far as how we got into our first campaign. But how would we advise folk? <laughs> you need to be ready to not sleep for a good mm, few yeah. months. It's the reality of what campaigns are. I'm not saying that I agree with it. I think it should be transformed. However, campaign work, organizing work is really damn difficult. Every minute of every day, something pops up, you need to respond. Something else pops up, you need to go there. Something else pops up. And then at the end of the day, whenever that day does end, for some people, in the earlier stages of the campaign, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and then it goes on to 10 o'clock, then you have to fold some paper, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, and then you're all of a sudden you're up until 2 o'clock in the morning, and then you forgot to stamp something. So yeah. you're all the, just no going into it. The 9 to 5 lifestyle is completely over. You're done. It was a career change for me as well. Um, It was in 2015. Like my background is in neuroscience and I went to med school in Algeria. And like, it's something that I don't really mention a lot because A, it doesn't matter. 
when you do community organizing, like whatever you do before, no matter how smart and amazing, none of it mm-hmm. can prepare you for, for community <laughs> organizing. And that's why to me, when I first came in into different campaigns, I always listen to people who have more experience, even mm-hmm. if they are younger than you or they haven't had as much education as you or anything like that. You have to put ego aside and listen, even people who don't have a lot of experience, because there's always going to be something that you missed an angle that you haven't thought of, an idea that never came to your mind. So egos in campaigns never works. (laughs) But yeah, so like when I came in, it was for Bernie Sanders and I actually met my husband there and everything. So you'd be surprised because you end up meeting with people that share the same values as you. Mm -hmm. And and I actually went there because I didn't want to have a nine to five. I was working in a lab and did not like the nine to five where you don't talk to people and felt that it was just the same thing over and over again. And you become like kind of the guy from Office Space, if anyone has like seen it (laughs) in that movie. And then when I started campaigning, that's what got me into being okay with not sleeping and working (laughs) hours and hours and hours, because as much as we're going to complain about it a lot in the next (laughs) few minutes, it's it's something that you're going to love. It's always working towards something that matters. It's not for money. Trust us. It's really (laughs) not for money that you would do this. It's for everyone. And that weirdly gives you a huge boost of energy because when you're second day of get out the vote week and (laughs) you have a meltdown and start crying and because you haven't slept enough and you figure out how much work you have to do and it's already nine o'clock at night, that idea that, you know what, you're not doing this for you, you're doing it for everyone and it matters will get you through the day. I'm having flashbacks as you're, no. as you're talking oh. about it. Oh, no. <laughs> Who here hasn't like cried oh. at least oh, once? No. We don't need like, to go. Three we don't need to go into this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't cried, it, was, it right. wasn't even like crying. <laughs> it's like it's something of like just overwhelming. It's, it's just, just like, exhaustion. It's just like oh my yeah. god, this yeah. is amazing. Like I've had cried like even like I'm just amazingness and be like this yeah. is so amazing. I'm oh, just yeah. crying. <laughs> <laughs> But it literally, it takes over who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be ready when you are making that career change. If you do choose to do so, just know it's a complete transformation. You have to love it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you are making a career change, it's a job and you have a certain work relationship. Do you usually work as campaign staff or consultants? In what capacities have you guys worked? I've worked both. Same here. Um, I much prefer working as campaign staff than through a consultant. One of the big things about your campaign this year was that you guys had a unionized campaign staff and everyone was a direct hire. Yeah. So most of the campaigns I've worked on, they have been through consultants. My first campaign was through a consultant. Me not knowing any better thought that that's just how campaigns are run, where I'd see folks working crazy hours as one does during campaign season. People from consulting companies coming in and out of the office telling senior staffers what to do and what not to do, even though they're coming in from like a corporate office, you know. So with Ross Barkin's campaign this past summer, it was something that was really, really important to us because it was me and then two other folks from um, Elliot Team's campaign. And we really value people. We value labor. We value health. And so something that isn't that common yet in campaigns is to actually value the health and lives of campaign staff. 
And that's just, you know, it goes without saying because you are working these insane hours, getting paid virtually nothing. Yeah. Um, if you work it out, most of the time people are not, for the hours they're making, not making minimum wage. Right, oh, exactly. Yeah. And it's why, a fraction of it. And so that's why it was really important for us to ensure that people who were working on the campaign were getting what they deserved. And so when you don't pay your canvassers well, or when you don't pay your staff well, and you don't take into account their health or their needs, and again, canvassing, $15 an hour, you're walking like 10 miles a day. You're walking up apartment stairs for hours, back and forth and back and forth in the cold, rain, summer, whatever it may be. Your body's taking a beating. Mm-hmm. Also, your emotion, like also yeah. getting an yeah. emotional beating. Yeah, when people, I mean, like, like <laughs> your livelihood. Close the door in your face. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you were talking earlier about how you have to have a thick skin. And that's why we unionized because we believed that everybody deserves to have health care, that everybody deserves to be paid for what they're doing, that anytime that they are on the campaign trail, whether it's making a phone call or a text and your data is not covered by your plan, you're going to get reimbursed for that. It means having your travel reimbursed. That should count as part of your workday, your travel time. Your body's going through wear and tear. Your mind is going through wear and tear every single day of the campaign for months and months and months. If your ankle goes out, you're done. Mm -hmm. You are done because canvassing is your thing. Oh, my God. We had one guy during GOTV for the primary literally rubbed his ankles were raw. I mean, it's no joke. It's not, yeah. it's not nothing. Yeah, it's <laughs> actually your body sees the worst. It was one of the things that like, I think now, like thinking back, I should have. I wish someone had told me to take care of yourself because you kind mm. of get completely wrapped up into trying to do as much as you oh, can, definitely. as much as possible. So one of the days I had my finger mm. during one of the rallies just wrapped it up into something and then going on and got infected. And then it, it happened like right before I get out of the vote. Oh, and yeah, you, it you was, can't go to the doctor. Tough. That's and really it's not tough. that like, you know, any bosses or anything like that said, no, you can't. It was something that I personally mm-hmm. felt awkward bringing up because I'm like, there's one week mm-hmm. and I can't so take off. Even like after I talked to Kyra up in the campaign when they were like, that was idiotic. That is something that you should be able to bring up and having healthcare and be, because I also was thinking of that. I'm like, well, I can't afford to to go to a doctor like if I was covered and had a doctor that I could go see directly I wouldn't have I would have maybe just taken out the two hours but also transportation like there were so many times when we would leave the office at two in the morning Mm -hmm. or something like that as women Mm -hmm. walking down the streets in the middle of the night at 2 a.m you can't take Mm -hmm. the subway no especially if you're in an area that the subway takes about five hours to show up that's our train so you were going (laughs) on ubers yeah i knew people who got an airbnb so they wouldn't have to travel from hours on the train so the last campaign i was working at our campaign manager lived in queens you know, if people would be like, well, you should just like manage your time. You can't no. manage your time. There's no way of being able to figure out a way to go sleep and be back yeah. here by like 8 a.m. or 10 a.m. It's not any organization's fault. It's yeah. every, yeah, it's the campaign it's a, it's culture. Campaign culture. And I think that if there were more field people, mm-hmm. people will understand. As women, and I think this is a time to call out that field is a very male-dominated oh, yeah. mm-hmm. field. And the fact that we have four women who have run field work in Bay Ridge, where we have amazing voter turnout, where we have incredibly engaged people. And when we talk about expanding the number of field people, there's a lot of conversation now about gender parity and what it would mean to have more women in field and what it would mean to have environments that are conscious of what gender means in the workplace. But you know how they say with folks who work in nonprofits, Mm -hmm. because you're so passionate about 
an issue, you kind of have to be in almost a position of privilege because the pay is so poor、mm-hmm. that you, as a woman who may or may not have kids, you need to have some other form of support.、Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of women who work in the nonprofit sector have a partner at home who is making more money to support their passion.、Mm-hmm. I do believe that field. As well as most other social justicey types of jobs, should pay more.、Mm-hmm. Why is it that so many women aren't in this field? Is it because it's inaccessible to folks? Is it because there isn't enough education? Is it because it's hard to find opportunities? And I think it's a mix of all, all of, of those different things. Yeah. 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 I mean, so yeah. something I noticed was that women were much more hesitant to ask for the job in the first place.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm generalizing wildly here, but we would have men walk into the office and say, "Like, hey, I'm here. I'll volunteer, but I want a job." And it wasn't until very late in the campaign that we had women doing the same thing. You know, early in the campaign, we would have women who would come in and volunteer and volunteer and volunteer. And then, like, if somebody mentioned to them, like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're maybe looking to," oh yeah, no, that's what I've wanted all along.、Oh, Say yeah. it, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I've seen that women have they were a lot more passionate about、mm-hmm. it. So it was, I want a job because I'm so passionate, and not the other way around. Like, I'm just going to do a job because I、right. think the way that it's described is always from a guy's perspective. But at least the last campaign that I worked with. With this another interview artist, there were mainly women, and that really helped me、right. being able to talk about. I have to walk back home by myself. Is、mm-hmm. there anyone that can like? And then we walk together, even though it took us a while to kind of like openly talk about it. To be like, hey, you were also like feeling weird that we're like walking back home and like really late, but we still were able to because there were mainly women there.、Mm-hmm. Right. And if you have more women, or like at least equal amounts, then. It will encourage people to come in because then they can voice their concerns. So I'm trying to reflect on how I found out about the campaigns that I worked on, but if it wasn't for Locke, a new friend who told me about different opportunities,、oh, then I would have never gotten into this. So I'm curious as to how you have found field organizer positions because it's not like it's something that you find on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. So it's most recent one was someone who mentioned it to me,、mm-hmm. but before that it was. Either volunteering for a while and then just like being involved. So I guess like there's no way of finding out unless you're really involved. Like, but you can be involved in so many different things. I mean, the campaigns that I worked on last year found out. You know, they actually came to me because they knew about the exactly.、Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. So you know,、cool. put yourself out there. Like that's the thing is like when it comes to campaign world, there's such a lack of diversity. I've seen they all know each other, especially in New York、mm-hmm. City. Everyone、oh, yeah. knows everyone. Oh yeah. And that to me is one of the things that I wish would change about this because unless you have worked with people and like you said, not everyone can afford it or has like the privilege of being able to do it or be connected with others, then there's no way of getting more women or diverse.、Right. One of the things that was unbelievable was that Andrew he was one of the few candidates that specifically asked to hire someone who speaks other languages or、mm-hmm. is an immigrant.、Mm-hmm. This district in Southern Brooklyn is so diverse. There are so many languages. That was something that we really had to pay a lot of attention to on、mm-hmm. the Max Rose campaign. You know, if you go out there and you're in Sheepshead Bay or you're in Diker Heights, if you don't have a Russian speaker, if you don't have a Chinese speaker, forget it. Absolutely, you're, you're leaving fifty percent of your packet because they can't speak to you. Exactly,、right. and, or even open the door. So I'm Northern African. So in the U.S., I think it's Arab, <laughs> but it's technically not. But for the you know U.S. purposes, it is Arab. But I've noticed there's a lot of people who won't even open the door.、Mm-hmm. I would have like look at different neighborhoods or talk to different people and see like what are the neighborhoods that are most conservative,、mm-hmm. and people won't open the door for a woman. They would rather open、mm-hmm. a door for a man because、like, they're very conservative. So it's not about you know looking. 
great. Yeah, or look at optics. me being all diverse. It's also, it brings you complete different perspectives, that things that someone who was born and raised in the US that I wouldn't be able to look out for or like to, to understand. Same thing goes for someone who's not Arab, who doesn't speak Arabic or is not an immigrant. And having more women is not just for the sake of, hey, look at me, I have a lot of women. Yeah. Women bring on a whole different perspective and ideas that man cannot understand or, or <laughs> convey in a campaign or a strategy. That's the real takeaway there is that it's not just about looking good. That's campaign strategy. Mm -hmm. That's winning votes. You have to take their input and listen because I think that there were multiple mm. occasions when I kind of overlook my experience or anything like that and not mention something that I thought was done wrong, mm -hmm. but it was about people from my background or about immigration or anything like that. And then I'd like, I had to think about it. I'm like, wait, listen, they have no way of knowing this because they're not immigrants or, you know, non-white people. <laughs> so <laughs> it was one of the things that I had a really hard time trying to find the line. Is it just my inexperience in campaigning telling me this or is it my background that's telling me this? And it's a very fine line to kind of figure out. Yeah. For me, I think we had an intern who had actually worked on campaigns in another country that shared a lot with some of our voters. And she could even tell us like tactics that would work that we would never think yeah. of. It is on organizers to be vocal about that stuff and holding your ground. And you may be talking to higher ups in the campaign, and they really just may not understand the situation on the ground because they're not there every day. Exactly. They can't tell you that you didn't have that exactly. experience. So, so that's why it's crucial just to speak up and also to create a culture within the campaign that you feel comfortable sharing that information. Come up with a canvassing script or a conversation or a rally or an event that the candidate or someone else needs to do, or the comms team needs to talk about or tweet about or do something like that. I know of times when Somebody would discover something they could say on the door to a voter and bring it back and give it to us in a report, and then we would pass it on. And then the next thing you knew, the candidate was talking about that point because we knew it was something that connected with those voters. Yes. Exactly. Something that I think is really crucial when it comes to a field organizer position is after every shift, whether it's volunteers or whether it's paid canvas, to decompress afterwards. Mm -hmm. Find mm -hmm. out how the script worked on the doors. Find out what the main issues were. Find out if there was some issue that you'd never heard about, but it was brought up. Bring that up because that's the only time really where you're going mm -hmm. to hear from everybody's experiences and that's how you move forward as a campaign. Yeah. So I think it's really crucial, again, back to communication, because that's how you're going to, you know, do well. Yeah. I think it's also the higher ups jobs to kind of like... To facilitate it. Yeah. Because like, I think, I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but to me, the candidate is the person that needs to know the most, but also the least. The campaign manager is the highest, but the, also you shouldn't be bothering them after five, five mm -hmm. seconds. And the field director to me, the field director is their right hand. They're the ones who deal with all the nitty gritty. Like, but most importantly to me, a good field operation is hiring organizers that are mini field directors yeah. who can mm -hmm. deal with little problems. Like my last campaign manager said something amazing. Organize yourself out of a job. Yes, mm, I have 100%. heard that exact quote. I love, I love it. Mm. Yeah. And that's your job as an organizer is to train and mm -hmm. delegate so that you don't have to, so that you have other thoughts yeah. or some time to like kind of strategy, strategy and stuff like that. And yeah. speaking about the fact that we need more women in the space, mm -hmm. that's something that really plays into it. And it starts with how you're training and who you're training. You have these volunteers or canvassers, but you want to train them up into 
hopefully an organizer position mm-hmm. in the future. I think that's really powerful. Our campaign manager just inspired that. It was mm. whenever I asked a question, I always felt heard because like mm-hmm. even when I was wrong, I'd be like, well, this is wrong, but this is why yeah. it's mm-hmm. wrong. And I think that's a good thing to kind of explain because you're not going to be right all the time, but also it's it's very valuable to understand well, it's why. Yeah. So that you don't repeat the same question or at least not feel like you've been just dismissed. So we have talked a ton about what we've done during campaigns, what we've seen on other campaigns. I am just curious, after working nonstop for months, what was the first thing everyone did as soon as November 6th was over? Passed out. Got a haircut. Slept. <laughs> Went to the hospital to Ooh. check myself. <laughs> That's a oh good one. my. I took a couple trips. I visited some family, tried to get my head out of the game. Reach out to my family for the first time ever because I've had a lot of, what could you possibly Mm. be doing? That that response for four months. Exactly. (laughs) It also like takes us back to the, I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband, I didn't see him for, I always use the, well, if you want to see me, you can always come and volunteer, (laughs) which I'm sure that everyone has used with their friends. Excuse me if I can't go, you know, meet up with you, but you know where I am and where I'll be for the next. Two and a half months. Is anything new going on? I said, are you coming to Kansas? Kansas? I said, no, no, nothing new. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's that's also a good thing to to think of. Like, please hire people that also have friends that also work in these kind of things. Because (laughs) I found myself sometimes kind of like guilt tripping my friends and be like, hey. You have to. Oh, yeah, all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And you always have in your head that thought of like, when I wake up on November 7th, do I want to think, oh, if I'd spent four more hours. Right. Mm -hmm. The idea of like doing something bigger than yourself, like really helps mm-hmm. because you want to leave, but like there's something in your back in your head to be like, well, if I leave, then we wouldn't be able to pass healthcare or something mm-hmm. like, like it's always right. something that kind of like puts you in perspective. But yeah, I think I slept for 48 hours straight mm-hmm. and then tried to hear about what the next campaign was, <laughs> even though I had the, I had promised my husband, at least I would not get involved in another campaign. Famous last For at least words. a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then within a week, I was kind of looking up and I see like what's going on? You get fed by the campaign bug. It's weird because you spend months working your ass off and then November 7th there's nothing. Mm -hmm. You're out of a job. Oh yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're not getting paid. You don't have... As are dozens if not hundreds of other people with your exact same skill set. Yes. Yeah. It's so strange going from 500 to zero. Mm -hmm. After Ross's campaign, after we lost in the primary... Something that I personally wanted to do, and I know a bunch of other folks, you know, newcomers to politics in general, we wanted to keep that momentum going. And so our office space felt like a community space where people would just come to hang out, or we had these teach-ins on different topics where folks would just come in for free bagels on a Saturday morning. And so we wanted to keep that going. And so we ended up keeping the campaign office and we renamed it Solidarity Space. 307 82nd Street in Bay Ridge. Many times after a campaign ends, everything is done. The volunteers that you had are long gone. They're on another campaign by now. But this was something that was really special because you have a candidate who's involved. You have the volunteers that we had on the campaign who are now really great organizers with organizing events at the space. You could have a meeting there or we have different teach-ins on different topics. So we're keeping that going from the campaign. 
in Bay Ridge, we really don't have that community space. So just having a space for people to come, even if it's their first time getting involved in politics, and if they don't want to get involved in politics, it's just a space to be. Like one of the reasons for me, at least to be involved in politics or in campaigns is because it's so easy to forget that there's stuff happening that should not be happening, whether people not having health care or a Muslim ban. There's always a way to be involved, even if it's not as a staffer or paid person or whether it's going to community spaces or to reach out to your elected officials or anything that you feel is not okay happening. And it's also a way to kind of like make sense of everything and like not get completely depressed about how <laughs> everything, you know, is happening. Yeah. Can we talk also about like the relationships or the bonds that you create mm, within, yeah, you know, yeah. two Let's months? It's like speed dating almost. It's like you hear about everyone's life because it's the only people that you're spending most yeah, of the time sure. with. And you're spending that time with them in like a 20 foot square office. Exactly. <laughs> so you're bound to so like, A, you have to because there's no way of being able to function in something that high stress, but also they're the only people that you see and talk to. So, so intense. The relationships that you make under a lot of pressure and consistent pressure, those are relationships that are really, really strong because if you're handling each other yeah, you've at, seen each other at worst, worst yeah. then you could handle whatever they got going on. So I could say at least literally with every single campaign I've been on, I've remained in touch with most people and I could say that two people now I could say that we are best friends I think it's really incredible because those bonds are so so strong I married one the first person <laughs> like that I, because we met training canvassers next to each other entering data together and cutting turf together and spending every waking hour together and um, love stories yeah yeah actually we had a, there was a whole New York Times article about like everyone who like met on campaigns and most of the others it was all like couples that were mentioned that clearly weren't going to but like they weirdly chose specifically the Bernie one to also be there and the irony is that we actually send them a picture of us like in our marriage and be like ha 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 <laughs> never mind don't use tinder just volunteer <laughs> at a campaign and you will find because you're just you're bound to get close with people being a past tinder user I've seen a lot of campaign folks on Tinder. <laughs> I think it's because you don't have time <laughs> for a relationship. You know, it's it's so interesting because of how many dates I've gone out on with people who are part of some campaign. Mm -hmm. You have the same hours as they do, so it works for a date. It's very strange. So that has been an incredible conversation. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for listening to us ramble for hours and hours. <laughs> so seriously, thank you for having us. And I hope our listeners take the opportunity to you know learn from this, give it another listen in a couple of weeks. Like, think about it. We've had some sea changes here in South mm -hmm. Brooklyn, but don't rest on our laurels. World keeps turning. Amen. There will be more elections. This could just be the beginning. We, we need to yeah. continue mobilizing yeah. and continue organizing and doing everything that we've been doing. Every day, there's mm -hmm. something to do. Every campaign season, non-campaign season, if it's not for a person, it's for an issue. If it's not for mm -hmm. an issue, then it's for both. Like Keep getting involved. Bring your friends, bring your neighbors, because we need more people. You know, We've been working at this and we've gotten a lot more women in, but we want to expand that to even more people, women of color and other groups that need to be represented and need to be in this industry so that they're they're working with the candidates. Even if you can't 
do this full time, even just to volunteer, bring your children. Because we need women as an example to show that women can be in power and should be in power. <laughs> if you feel like you have a particular message or passionate about helping people, please run. Women of color, immigrants, since we're in Beirut, in Arabic, please. Um, we've seen first Muslim women and first hijabis being in office this year, and it can be done. So please, please run. So that was our amazing field panel. I just want to say thank you again to everybody who came in and spoke with us and, you know, went over all of those amazing details. If you liked what you heard, if it sounded interesting, like something you want to be involved in, we are already into the primary season again. Wait, for public advocate? For public advocate, for the DA races. And this is all because now we have consolidated primaries. We were talking about that a little bit in the uh, the panel, right? Yeah, about what yeah. that meant. And yep. then they have like a couple of months for like, you know, September, November election. It'll be a November election. That's the thing is we used to have this June primary for federal, the September for state and local. And then the general in November, and now it's just going to be this June primary. So not only are campaigns starting up literally the day after the public advocate election, yeah. but they're going to be going straight through to November. So again, it's a great opportunity. If you liked what you heard, if you want to get involved, start reaching out to those candidates. A lot of them will have staffed up their senior positions. But field is a world where you can move up very, very quickly. Yeah. And field for something like DA and public advocate is a great place to get your feet wet because a lot of these are going to be citywide races. So you're not going to have many opportunities to do citywide races most times. Most time it's a single district. So this is a good chance where they need lots of yeah, field and, people. And actually, this is something I was talking to a friend about the other day. We're in a really unique position in Bay Ridge. We've now gone through a city council race with like 11 candidates, a congressional race with, you know, eight or nine candidates. In this community, we've had really unusual opportunities to work through multiple campaigns that are very complex. And I think that that's led to a lot of our organizers, a lot of our kind of political periphery folks mm. having opportunities to get much more involved than they might have in other parts of the city. So take that knowledge, take that experience, you know, take it to these races and kick some butt. If you want to get more involved with Radio Free Bay Ridge, just shoot us a line at contact at radiofreebayridge.org. You can check us out on our website, our Twitter at Radio Free BR. Feel free to contact us, get us, get involved, let us know what kind of episodes you want to see on the show. This is your platform, this is your space. And until next time, stay free, Bay Ridge. It is, right. It's so fucking corny, it's but so I love it. Funny. I love it.